Hello, it's Bernard Nomberg with the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. Thanks for stopping by the Nomberg Law Live podcast. Each week we have interesting conversations with people in their areas of expertise. And in this episode, I have a great discussion with Dan Wolken, who is the national sports writer for USA Today. Dan covers baseball, football, basketball, you name it, and has done such a, an outstanding job for many, many years. We talk about the state of sports now during the pandemic and what it may look like after the world opens back up. We think you'll really enjoy this episode of the Nomberg Law Live podcast. If you like this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and a review and subscribing will ensure that you get each podcast as they come out on a weekly basis. Thank you again. All right, guys, I want to welcome everybody to our Tuesday Nomberg Law Live. We do these each Tuesday at 10 o'clock Central, 8 a.m. Pacific. And as I usually say, we have interesting conversations with people in their areas of expertise. And my guest today is Dan Wolken, the national columnist with USA Today in sports. Dan, welcome, and I appreciate you making some time today. No, thanks for having me. Well, I know that it's during this pandemic, the the world has turned upside down, of course, but so has uh, the sports world, of course. And most recently, we just saw in the Super Bowl with the the way that they dealt with it um, and how all major sports and all the way down to little leagues are are having to deal with it. Uh, But before we we jump into those current topics, Dan, I want to I want to jump back a little bit about your, we have a, a mutual connection with the university, uh, Vanderbilt University. I know that you uh, were an undergraduate there and you spent time uh, working on the Vanderbilt Hustler, which has over the last uh, few decades has really gained a lot of notoriety. There's so many of your colleagues in national positions around the country. I want you to kind of share a little bit of that experience that you had as an undergraduate and who are your other uh, colleagues of note around the country who you uh, know of? Yeah, well, it was one of those things that when I got to Vanderbilt, when I got to college, uh, it's, it's what I threw myself into. You know, some people throw themselves into a fraternity or sorority or uh, intramural sports or varsity sports or, you know, Spanish club or debate team or whatever it may be. Uh, mine, mine was the student newspaper and it was the place where spent a lot of time um, when I wasn't studying, when I wasn't in class, uh, was always in the office, uh, got heavily involved as, as a writer, as an editor. Um, back in those days, we put out the paper twice a week and we basically pulled all-nighters to, to get it out. Uh, and it was a big deal on campus when the hustler landed in, in newspaper boxes every, uh, I think it was Tuesday and Friday or, or something like that. And um, we, we would be in there literally all night long putting the issue together. We had to paste it up on, on boards. You know, they don't have to do that anymore. Now it's all, you know, kind of digital, but we, we literally had to cut and paste and uh, put it on boards and deliver it to the printer. Uh, at, at six in the morning and 
that's really the the some of the best memories I have of of college. Uh, just the sense of accomplishment, the exhaustion of just putting everything into that. Uh, we we'd usually go have breakfast afterwards, uh, and then go get some sleep, and you know just over and over again. And I managed to do that, you know, for for four years, and was was editor of the paper uh, when I was there toward the end, and it was just, uh, it was awesome. And we did something really meaningful, not, not just in sports where, you know, it was always cool to go cover football games and, uh, certainly laid the foundation for, for what I do now, but, but also, uh, getting involved in big campus issues and breaking big stories and holding people accountable. And, and we didn't have a class, we didn't have a journalism school, but, but that was the best classroom you could have was, was the real life experience of doing it. Well, it's you were honing your craft, that's for sure. And I know you you had a little bit of a smile on your face, maybe as you were remembering some of the, the memories of, of just being there so late. Uh, now, I, I know this is kind of doing a deep dive, but uh, I saw this past week that Rotier's Restaurant is closing after 75 years. And that was a campus favorite, at least for me, being directly across the street from where I lived for three years at uh, at the Carmichael Towers, but where would be a breakfast spot for you guys uh, when you put the, the paper to bed, so to speak? It was always a Pancake Pantry, which awesome. is uh, out there in uh, Hillsborough Village, just on the edge of, of the Vanderbilt campus. Uh, certainly uh, a, a pretty famous place in, in Nashville that uh, every weekend, even still, you drive out there and there's a big line at nine o'clock for people to get in. Uh, back in back in those days, you know, you could walk right in at 6 a.m. Mm -hmm. That was kind of what we did. But yeah, it was always Pancake Pantry. Well, that's I know those were fine memories. Now, looking back on your years on campus uh, and coming forward, I know you've, you've gone on to, to several of the newspapers and you've most recently been with USA Today. Let's talk about some of the Vanderbilt colleagues who either were in school with you or preceded you or after you. There's just whether it's, and these are just names off the top of my head, obviously Buster Olmey is one, uh, maybe one of the more notable ones just with his deal, uh, dealing with Major League Baseball, uh, Willie Geist. I mean, I could go on and on, but who are some of your friends or colleagues around the country who were either with you at Vanderbilt or you have dealt with or know of just with the Vanderbilt connection? Yeah, well, th those guys are, are a little bit uh, older than, than me, a little bit different generation, uh, but uh, when I got there, or as, as I was getting there, Tyler Kepner was leaving. He's a longtime national baseball writer for, for the New York Times. Uh, I worked most closely with, with Lee Jenkins, who was with Sports Illustrated and now actually um, has a job working for the uh, LA Clippers. But he was certainly you know, one of the best uh, sports writers in, in the country doing NBA features and profiles at, at Sports Illustrated. I worked very closely with Neil Vigder, who's a uh, New York Times reporter, uh, Will Tomlinson, who ended up sort of uh, working for ESPN on the production side. So yeah, we had a lot of people uh, who were very committed uh, to to our staff, very committed to getting that paper out every, every day and making it really good and, and just really cared and uh, put a lot into it. And so yeah, it was, it was a great group of people. I, I, I always, maybe this is just my black and gold bias, but you don't have to go to the Missouris or the Syracuses of the world for J school. You guys certainly uh, created your, your marks 
uh, while in school and have set off just some awesome paths of your own career-wise. Yeah, the thing about journalism is that uh, there's no exact way to get into it. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there's very different paths. There's some people who uh, do that very traditional, you know, J school thing. They go to Missouri, they go to Northwestern or Syracuse. Uh, there's certainly other really good journalism schools around the country uh, and they get that, that sort of formal training. Some people do it in grad school. You know, Columbia has got a very strong uh, grad program that a lot of people I know were involved in. But it's also one of those jobs that uh, there's a lot of people who are great at it who, frankly, don't have college degrees. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and it, it, some of it is just um, instinctual, you know, understanding what a story is and, and how to get a story. And there's a talent to that uh, and understanding people, knowing how to talk to people. It's also, I think, one of the jobs where it's most important to have on the ground experience. Uh, that's really the only way to learn. You can you can certainly understand and, and learn in classrooms some of the basics and, and some of the rules and ethics and all that stuff is very important. But in terms of actually how to do the job on a day-to-day -day basis, how to meet a deadline, how to write, how to get a story, how to interview people, you just have to watch and learn and, and do it and practice. So there's no right or wrong way you know every, there's really good yeah. journalists who went to journalism school and some really good ones who didn't uh, but I, like I said earlier I think having the experience on a college campus of actually running a student paper mm -hmm. uh, is as good an experience as you could possibly have to prepare yourself to do yeah, there's, there's nothing better than the, the the boots on the ground experience the on the job training and we'll we'll move on from our Vanderbilt kick in just a minute but I do have a uh, one more question along those lines is there is a renewed uh, optimism, that's my term, within the football alumni with the latest coach, uh, Clo Coach Clark Lee, a former football player, walk on at Vanderbilt and a Nashville product himself. He's really starting to turn some heads and he's hired a, a very uh, vast wealth of experience in coaches. He's brought back three or four teammates and former Vanderbilt players, most notably Javon Hay and Earl Bennett were most recently um, announced that they were on staff. Um, what are you seeing? What are your thoughts about the, what Coach Lee is doing? And as well as Candace Lee, they're starting to put some money behind the program. The, the locker rooms have been gutted and there's a long range plan that we think is going to be unraveled or, or unrolled in the last uh, next couple of months to years. Yeah, well, I, I'd say, first of all, you know, my experience in covering college football for as many years as I have and seeing coaches come and go, um, you always sort of have this honeymoon period when somebody gets a job, they're ramping up, they're putting a staff in place, they're bringing in their own people and everything looks great. You know, everything on paper looks, looks like the right decision um, and, and, you know, they're going to put money into it and, and they've got all these plans. You have to have that. You have to have a blueprint in place and you have to uh, execute it. And, and certainly I, I think he's done that so far, but at the same time, you know, this is the, the easiest part of the job in the sense that uh, you, you have not played any games. There's no pressure. Uh, there's, there's no um, expectations that you haven't met yet. So 
I would certainly say that that he's done everything right so far, but this is the time that it's hard to mess up. Yeah, we'll see what the things look like on the field uh, when they get into recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's got a tough job, no doubt about it. That's a program that's that's in rough shape right now. Uh, they need huge investments. They need institutional commitment. Uh, I don't think he would have taken the job if he didn't feel like he had that. Uh, but uh, at the same time, you know, he, he's, he's now responsible for executing as the football coach. And, and any first-time head coach in college football, you just you never know how it's going to go. He may turn out to be, um, you know, Vanderbilt's Pat Fitzgerald, or he may flame out. And we'll just have to see. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not enough. You're right. You, not just to, to win that press conference. You now have to execute and put everything into – into place. So the time will tell. And I guess the term I should have used is guarded optimism. Uh, We've all been down that road so many times with prior coaches and seasons. So anyway, uh, guys, I'm talking with Dan Wolken. He's a national writer with USA Today dealing with sports. And it's there's it seems like you've covered at one point or another just about every sport uh, that's out there and worth discussing. But let's talk about the Super Bowl that was just this past week. If you're uh, assigned or tasked to write about the Super Bowl during this pandemic or any of these major sporting events that are going on, are you traveling or are you having to do your work uh, remotely? Share with us a little bit about some of your experiences in the last six to six months to a year with that. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's different uh, right now. You know, the last year uh, have have not been to many sporting events uh, in person. Uh, went to the college football playoff game in uh, Dallas, went to the championship game, went to the SEC championship game, which is where I live in Atlanta. Other than that, I didn't go to any, uh, any other football games this year. Uh, I, I've covered several Super Bowls for, for USA Today. This year, we had a very small crew on the ground in, in Tampa. I was hanging back at home. Uh, most of us were writing, you know, writing off television. And then the way you do interviews now is, is through Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been that way you know, in, in every sport. And it's it's not as good. It's not as effective. You don't have that same level of, of interaction. You can't do the same type of reporting that you would do in a locker room where you can, you know, get more familiar with somebody, you're face-to-face, you, you, you have a, some kind of, kind of rapport, but, and, and you can get exclusive stuff. You can't do that right now. So uh, you, you just got to play the cards you're dealt you know at some point uh we will be back to normal we will be back to going to games interviewing people in person and and all that kind of stuff but uh yeah it's 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 been very weird and uh for somebody who's used to being on the road for you know 100 plus nights a year (laughs) reporting covering events all that kind of stuff uh for for the last year to you know not not really travel much it's 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 very strange I'm, I'm sure that it is when you're used to being in locker rooms or in press rooms and having the players and coaches come in uh, do the does the league or the individual professional organizations do they dictate um, if you get exclusive zoom interview time or does it is it as a group or how does that work well I think everybody has their their standard press conference time mm-hmm. on zoom that that any media member who covers the team can 
can log into. You know, if you wanted to do something separately or individually, uh, you can always try to arrange that with a team or with an individual player or coach. Um, some of that depends on, you know, it depends on them agreeing to do it, their interest level and, yeah. and whatever the story is. Not everybody uh, cooperates the same way. Uh, you know, if I wanted to get an exclusive or one-on-one -on -one interview, uh, whether it's Zoom or phone or whatever, uh, you, you try to arrange that, but there's no guarantees. Uh, but every, every college pro uh, team league, you know, ha has their, their designated media access periods uh, and, and they'll bring in whoever, you know, whatever player or coach uh, they, they, they have on the schedule. But uh, yeah, every, you know, that, that's not a, a one-on-one -on -one thing. That, that's a group thing. Yeah. I know that uh, in my world and I'm sure even much more so in your world, zoom fatigue is a real thing. And meaning that nobody wants to just sit in front of a camera and, and all day long and answer questions. Uh, but I, I suspect even the athletes, even more so, they, they probably do not like that uh, any more so than they have to, to do it. But Dan, I want to kind of shift for a few minutes, and I appreciate your time today in, in answering some of my questions and things that I, I, I always wanted to ask uh, you and, and others who do your type of, of work, is let's, let's move on to college sports. We've got baseball coming up, and spring training for to not just college baseball, but for uh, Major League Baseball is upon us. It's February. And Major League Baseball has stated, at least for now, I think the season's going to start on time. Let's let's stick with college for right now. You know, the season was just obviously cut it short, very short. Are you, what are you hearing, I guess, amongst the, the college coaches or within the decision makers is the season going to look anything like it did last year, or are we going to get back to some sense of normalcy, or are you hearing a hybrid of any of that? I'm sorry, you're talking about college baseball. College baseball. If I said football, I apologize. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, first of all, you know, co college baseball is not really a sport that I, I focus on a lot. It's you know, it's a very sort of niche sport for for a lot of schools outside the SEC. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's not really much of a fan base for it anyway. So. You know, the schools generally lose money on, on college baseball, you know, except for that, that handful, the LSUs, the Mississippi States, Arkansas, you know, the, those programs. I have not heard specifically what some of those programs are, are trying to do, but like everything else we've seen, I, every, colleges are still in, in, in COVID mode. You know, they're still, mm -hmm. they're going to have games. They're going to have a season. I think each, each league has a little bit different model, uh, from, from what I've seen about, about how they're going to approach it. Uh, but in terms of the schedule, but they, they are, um, I mean, they're going to play a season. Uh, they're going to try to have a college world series. I'm sure they will uh, being the fact that baseball is an outdoor sport and it's more, you know, socially distant in general. I, it's like everything else. They're, what they're more concerned about is, is, is the travel and the locker rooms and all that kind of stuff. Um, not necessarily what happens on the field, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think we'll see too many fans yet. Uh, I, I just don't think we're, we're quite ready for that. Yeah. And what about for the type of work that you're doing going forward? Do you, do you foresee in the upcoming either weeks or months being able to get back out on the road more so than you have in the last six months? Yeah, it, it's an interesting question. And, and, you know, I'll frame it around the Olympics. The Olympics is coming up uh, this summer in Tokyo. And, you know, what is that going to look like? They're, they're going to have it. They're determined to have it. Uh, there's, 
billions of dollars at stake and 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 they moved it back once and I, I think they just are going to try to plow ahead and do it. But what kind of event is it going to be uh, from a media standpoint? Are they going to cut back the number of people who, who they allow in? What, what are those things going to look like? You know, and that's still months away. Um, so the amount of uncertainty we're seeing for, you know, even June and July mm -hmm. uh, is, is interesting. And, and it's a reflection of the fact that, you know, we still have vaccinated a relatively low percentage of the population uh, compared to what we need. To, to sort of get back to normal. I, I think just sort of following what, what the doctors say and, and what the health officials say, it's, it's gonna be a process. And, and I, you know, I, I'm not counting on things being normal really until the fall, you know, by, by fall football season, I think you'd hope that, that you can aspire to have full stadiums again. Now, you know, whether people wanna go and all that stuff is a different story, but in terms of the COVID numbers, in terms of the safety, um, I think it's still a process that, that, that we're having to work through. I, you know, I'm not sure, you know, will, will we have an NBA finals? Uh, will, will the NBA playoffs go back to a bubble? Mm -hmm. Will the NBA finals have packed houses? Still all up in the air, you know, and, and that's June and July. So, um, you know, we, we've still got to get through several more months of this. You know, at least now the professional leagues have some uh, history where they can look back in the prior seasons to see how uh, things that may have worked or not worked for them. So maybe that going forward with these upcoming seasons, they'll be able to, to tweak their systems like the bubble because uh, they seem to, have, for the most part, have worked fairly well uh, for most as long as the athletes uh, abide by the rules you know obviously you've got <laughs> the, the some athletes that just don't want to, to adhere to some of those things or things do happen but Dan let me just as we get close to toward the end I guess this is a, a, a general question about this past year as many athletes as you've interviewed and coaches and administrators and people with different sporting um, different sports everybody wants to get back to some sense of normalcy on the field or on the court or, or off, of course, but things have changed. Our world has changed. And I guess, I don't, I don't know if this is a fair question, but from what you're being told in your interviews, are you seeing a change in mindset, I guess is the right word, by these coaches or players about how they're approaching their sports? Or are they trying to just put on a good face and just say, you know, I'm, I'm just out here doing the best that I can kind of a thing. Do you, can you read that much into your interviews uh, from what you're hearing about this, uh, how people are approaching this? I think there's a lot of things that, that people have had to adopt during COVID that, that will stay with them, you know, even when we're on the other side of it in, in sports. Uh, certain operational things will be uh, permanent, you know, and, and and I think that's also going to be part of, of just life in general. Uh, you know, I, I know somebody, I, I know somebody we were talking the other day who said, I'll, I'll never get on a plane again without a mask, even when COVID's over. Um, you know, and, and I think there's probably a lot of people who, who feel the same way. I mean, it's just, it's been a big change in, in how we live our lives uh, on so many levels. I, look, I, I think athletes have, you know, it, it, we are all adaptable as humans. 
they, they've tried to do the best they can to, to adapt to the circumstances. Um, but like everybody else, like it is limiting in, in a way uh, what, what you can do when, when you're in this kind of environment. And, and so uh, obviously pro athletes who make a lot of money, you know, they, they have it easier than, than a lot of people, college athletes. Uh, it's, it's a lot tougher uh, to, to handle some of the restrictions uh, and they're not getting paid for it. You know, so I, you've seen a pretty big difference in the number of COVID cases in college football, college basketball and, and NBA, NFL. Uh, and I think that that probably says a lot, but um, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna come down to encouraging people to 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 get this vaccine, uh, to to be safe, to you know, to to do the best we can to try to within this year uh, get back to the way things were, and and you know, hopefully people are motivated to do that. Well, hopefully people will just continue. I, I I would I dare say we're no longer in the panic and adjustment phase. I think that. Hopefully by now we're in the learning and adapting and hopefully abiding by the, what the doctors and the professionals are, are uh, recommending. Um, but time obviously will tell. The last topic I wanna bring up with you, Dan, women have finally made such great advances in all professional and some college sports this past year. GM for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, I think there were at least two or three women, and forgive me, I don't know their names, who were coaches of importance in the Super Bowl. There was a woman who was raised in Alabama, I just read about her again today, who was a referee. Uh, Sarah Fuller kicked for Vanderbilt, Power Five scored a point and kicked earlier this year. So my question to you, and I, and I also know uh, that the Spurs have a very important assistant coach who is a woman. Here's my question. Do you have any predictions here to get your crystal ball out? When are we going to see for men's sports, women being head coaches and putting into those positions? I think you could see it in the next few years. And I think it'll start probably in the NBA. Um, you know, I, I think football, the NFL is probably a ways away from that. Uh, and, you know, and I think, um, College basketball, I think you could see that as well. Uh, I think somebody will will try that uh, at some point. And you know, I think that that in the NBA, uh, especially, you know, the, the players in the NBA are extremely professional for the for the most part. You know, they are um, now now more than ever. You don't see a lot of bad guys in the NBA. Uh, the, the stakes are too high. The teams have, have just sort of not, uh, not, uh, they don't tolerate it. Uh, and when guys are young and, and they're on that travel circuit and, and they're showing potential, they're, they're sort of groomed all the way through the, the system uh, to, to, you know, to, to handle their business very uh, professionally. And so, I, I think, you know, ba basketball players, um, they've shown a, a, a willingness to, to be coached. Uh, Becky Hammond uh, with the Spurs is who, who you're mentioning. She's coached their summer league team. Thank you. Uh, she, I just, I she her name wasn't coming when, to mind. Thank you. Yeah, she coached the game when Greg Popovich uh, got, got thrown out uh, the other day. And, you know, she's real, she's really good. And, yeah, I think it's just a matter of time. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be something that happens a ton. Uh, but 
I, I do think that, um, you know, sort of whatever the stereotypes or the, 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 the questions about how it would work, I think that's all sort of receding into the background. And it's just more about, you know, do you, do you think this person can do the job? And that's the way that it should be. Hopefully the old world mentality is, is leaving us and there are more opportunities for women in sports of positions of importance. But Dan, thank you for spending some time with me today and sharing your expertise and experiences. I, I truly enjoyed our conversation. No, thanks Guys, for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, my, my pleasure. Guys, as we do each week on Nomberg Law Live, it's interesting conversations with people in their areas of expertise, and there's none finer than Dan Wolken at USA Today. So thank you again, and we hope you guys have a great uh, rest of your week. Be safe, and we'll catch you again next week. Take care.